let's go ahead and let's begin um, with prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for all things. We thank you because you are absolutely incredible. You have been merciful when you didn't even have to be. Lord, you have been doing great things for us, and we just want to pause to say thank you. God, with everything that has been going on this in the last couple of weeks, Lord, thank you for being right there by our sides. The waters have been turbulent for us in many ways, but you have been so faithful and so consistent. We just say thank you. Now here we are, Lord, just wanting to praise you and wanting to hear about you. We want to know more about you. And if you don't speak today, Lord, we're not, we're not going to get that, Lord. I, I thank you for the opportunity to teach and to share with the people. But, but the reality is, is that I'm not the teacher. And, I, and, and if you don't move, God, then no one, and myself included, is going to get anything. So we invite your presence in, Lord, to our individual rooms. And we ask you to have your way, God. Speak to us, Lord, as always. The saints, the, the students, they don't need to hear from me, but they do need to hear from you. And I need to hear from you. I just can't make it without you. So thank you, Lord. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and praise God. We are going to pick up. We are still in the book of Psalms. We're just going to kind of walk through um, an overview of the book of Psalms. The intent is not to go through absolutely every single Psalm. We will be touching on the Psalms, um, different Psalms as we go through. But um, what, where we're going with this is, 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 is we're learning, we're getting an understanding of how, not just how this book was designed. We covered that um, or constructed or put together. We covered a bit of that uh, in the last couple lessons, um, but really to get an understanding of how to actually use the Psalms. Brothers and sisters, the word of God will never do you that much good, almost any good at all, if you're not using it. You have to use the word of God. It, listen, the, the Bible is in its construction. It is absolutely beautiful. There is no other book like the Bible. But if the word of God is going to reach its maximum potential in your life, in my life, then it has to go beyond just a fascinating book, just a wonderful book, just a good read, just a profound book. It's got to go past that. It's got to move beyond all of those things. The world will label that, you know, for any book, okay? But the Bible stands out among any other book. Why? Because it is not just a book. It is the living word of God. It is the roadmap. It is your instruction set that is going to get you to heaven. And it cannot get you there if you are not obeying. If I am not obeying, the word of God will not take me, will not take you where it's designed to take you. Amen. The word of God is designed to get you to heaven. It is designed to get you to heaven in a state that is acceptable to God. Glory to God. And that's a wonderful thing. But in order for that to manifest, in order for that to show itself strong and present and accounted for in our lives, there's no substitute for doing the word of God. In fact, the Bible teaches us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Now, we ended last week, we, um, look, we took a look at Psalms 149, 
Amen. And we looked at verse one, which said, praise you, the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. And we, we looked at that word, uh, praise ye the Lord. And uh, we discovered that when we do a deep dive into that, getting into the Hebrew of that, um, we find that that word there for praise really, really didn't just mean uh, songs of praise or a song of praise. And it didn't just mean praiseworthy actions so that someone who, who does something that's uh, very notable um, worthy of praise. And, and when someone does that action, then you say something about it. Um, that is included in the word. The Greek word is uh, um, tehila is what that is, or tehila is the actual word in, uh, in, in Hebrew, I'm sorry, that word for worship or excuse me, for praise. And that word break, when you break it down, you get eventually to the word worship. Amen. And we learned in uh, Chronicles that the Levites were instructed by Hezekiah uh, and the princes. They were instructed to sing the words of David and Asaph, the seer. We learned that Asaph in the book of Psalms, tell, we learned two things about, we learned one thing about uh, Asaph in the book of Psalms, and then we learned another thing about him in the book of uh, Chronicles. Amen. And, um, and when we say the book of Chronicles in specific, we're talking 2 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, verses 27 and 30. The verse in particular would be verse 30 uh, in that set. Um, we learn um, from both Second Chronicles 29 and we learn from the book of Psalms that Asaph was not only the chief musician, amen, of David, but we also learned that he was a prophet as well. We highlighted that word prophet because the word that is used in Chronicles is the word seer, which is an Old Testament word also uh, synonymous or also used interchangeably uh, with the word prophet. They mean the same thing. When you say seer, you are saying a prophet, amen. But we also learned that the sense of that word seer or prophet in this in um, has its root in that of the word worship because a prophet it was, was not just one who uh, foretold um, the events to come as dictated by the spirit of God. That's not just what the prophet did, but the prophet was also a worshiper. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. So, and those are fascinating things, wonderful things to know because that word worship or that sense of the word worship that is rooted in the word um, tehillah or the word for praise, as we see it in the book of Psalms, in, in the number, in the 149th number of the Psalms, and in that first verse, um, that word praise there, when we take it all the way back, we get to worship. And that word also meant offering words of homage as an act of worship. We learned that that was also extremely important. Why? Because when we get to the root of the meaning that it's offering words of homage as an act of worship, the words of homage as an act of worship opens the door for that to be for it to be more than just a song. Amen. So it can be in a prayer where we worship God and we're talking um, to God. It can be um, obviously in our praise where we're talking God and we're and, and, the, and we include that in worship. There are many different forms of worshiping God. We learned that the Psalms were also meant to be uh, meant to be sung. Glory to God. Although the Psalms fall into different categories, and we talked about that, and you can look 
um, can go back and review the previous lessons for a little bit more details on that. Though the Psalms can be categorized into, um, into different segments or to different subcategories, amen. We learned that though not all of them fall into the category of him, because one particular category in which the Psalms is divided is that of Psalms that were designated um, as Psalms of him. And those are, and that's very, um, and that's very important because in there you have your Psalms, um, your 122 and your 132, and you have uh, 126 and so on and so forth. These are Psalms that were designated for singing, but you also had other types of Psalms. Some of them were lament, some of them were prayer and, and so on and so forth. But all of it was meant to be sung. Now we got to Ephesians. And for those of you who got your Bibles and you should have your Bibles, hope you've got your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter five, verse 17, 19. We're getting right into uh, where we left off. Um, Psalm Ephesians chapter five, verse 17 through 19. The Bible says this, wherefore uh, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is and be not drunk with wine where is ex, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Amen. And then I want you to turn to Colossians chapter three, verse 16. Amen. And the word of God says in the book of Colossians, chapter three, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts for hearts to the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. Now, I want you to notice something here. In Psalms, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 19, I want you to notice something here. Verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Amen. Then, notice that phrase, in your heart to the Lord. Then you go to Colossians. 3 and 16, and you find, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Look at that, in your hearts to the Lord. Now, Ephesians and Colossians, and there's another one also, um, in James, we'll, 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 deal with, um, uh, we'll deal with James in just a moment. Um, that is the last scripture that we actually uh, dealt with last week. But Ephesians and Colossians, I want you to look at the very similarity because both of them end with this, this concept of making melody in your heart to the Lord. Or as in Colossians um, says it, singing with grace in your heart uh, to, the, to the Lord. Now, last week we learned that these two scriptures, Ephesians and Colossians, reveal something to us about the Psalms that's very important. It reveals to us 
that the Psalms actually have, or they reiterate to us, the purpose of the Psalms. Because when you get to Ephesians and you look at Colossians, you begin to see instructions for how to use the Psalms. In Ephesians, he says, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So first thing he tells us is be conscious of the will of the Lord, okay? Be conscious of what, uh, that God has a plan. When we say the will of the Lord, whenever that phrase is used, or when we talk about the will of the Lord, automatically you should start thinking about the plan of God or what God's preference is. What does God want? When we start talking about the will of the Lord, we're talking about a plan that supersedes your plan and supersedes my plan. Many times we run into problems, and this is worth taking a moment of pause just on this alone, because many times we run aground or run into problem because we're substituting God's plan for our plan. When even when it comes to worship, we worship God many times. We worship him sometimes according to a formula, sometimes uh, according to what other people are doing, never considering and, or sometimes never considering that God actually has a plan. The scripture tells us, the Lord tells us they that worship him must do so what? In spirit and in truth. That's a criteria. That's a plan. That is the will of God. That is his preference. That is his desire. And when we talk about the will of God, you're talking about what is God's preference? What is God's will? Or what is God's desire? What is God's goal? And brothers and sisters, if you and I are going to be effective in our walk, in our talk, and if, our, if we're not going to waste time, when it comes to our praise and our worship, then guess what? Your praise, your worship, my praise, my worship is going to have to go beyond what I want to give, amen, and it's going to have to find its way or make its way to the place of being what God wants me to give. In essence, I cannot keep giving God what I want him to have. God is particular. I got to give him, you've got to give him what he wants. If you give God what you want him to have, you're going to always run the risk of it not being accepted. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. On your best day, on my best day, it's not, it's just it, um, what I bring to the table is not good enough. Oh, but when I mix it with the Holy Ghost, when the Spirit of God is moving, when what I give is prompted by the Spirit and motivated by the Spirit or undergirded by the Spirit, and how does that happen? That happens as soon as I start doing or obeying the Word of God, because now I'm giving God what He wants the way He wants it. When that happens, brothers and sisters, all of a sudden, your praise, your worship, anything that you can give, it moves from a state of being unacceptable to being completely acceptable. Why? Because except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain that build it. You got to have, I have to have 
God working on the inside, helping me give him what he wants. This is news to a lot of people, but even in your praise and worship, you need God. It's not just life situations, but in everyday situations and including your spiritual walk, you need God in order to walk spiritually. Glory to God. Now in Ephesians, he says, be understanding what the will of the Lord is and be not drunk with wine and, and wherein is excess. We said last week, that's not just natural wine, but that's just being filled up with the things of the world. The things of the world is also referred to as, um, as, as wine. Amen. And so when we consume uh, this world in mass quantities, amen, and we become enamored with the things that are happen in, happening in the world, we become caught up and our mind is only on the things of this world. That is equivalent to being drunk, amen. And however, you're not being drunk on the spirit, as the next phrase tells us, but be filled with the whole, with the spirit. That word spirit there, or that title spirit, is capitalized, letting us know that we're not talking about any spirit. We're talking about the spirit of God. Glory to God. And the spirit of God also is referred to as new wine. Glory to God. Amen. So God says, don't be drunk with wine. Okay, he's speaking through the apostle but be filled with the spirit. Now, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Speaking to yourselves, he tells you, he's giving you a rule set. He's giving you some guidelines. And Ephesians chapter five and Colossians chapter three, in that we are getting instruction. In Ephesians, you get the instructions for how you are to use them specifically for yourself. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody. Amen. So in Ephesians, we get or we gain instructions for how to use the Psalms on a personal level. He says, speaking to yourselves. Amen. There are some times where brothers and sisters, you got to encourage yourself. There are going to be times where this world, listen, this world, it, it, there ain't no shortage of bad news. That's why we have to mount, we got to be cautious of how much we subject ourselves to the news of this world. I'm telling you, if, if you listen, if you're listening and you are in this session and, and you got a habit of watching the news and all that sorts of things, I'm not going to get here and tell you don't, don't watch the news, but I am going to tell you that you need to limit what you're doing, especially if you are overindulging in the consumption of the news of this world. Let me tell you, this world, the news in this world constantly goes from bleak to bleaker. It simply gets from, you know what I'm saying, from bad to worse. And if you overconsume the messages of this world, it will affect you negatively spiritual. It will affect your outlook. It will affect all of these different aspects and you will, it will bring with it a spirit of depression. Be cautious. There's nothing wrong with keeping up to date with the current events. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not getting ready to go tell you all, you know, get, you know, come up with something ridiculous. No, no, no. It's, you ought to be informed. And sometimes keeping uh, in touch with certain with news 
uh, however you consume it, whether you're, you're, you're streaming it or however it is that you, you get your news, a little bit of it is okay. But I want to admonish you, encourage you not to do too much of that because you can overindulge in the messages of this world and it will affect you. Why? Because those messages are not good. There is way more bad than there is good in the messages of the world. And if you overindulge, it will cause the spirit of depression to begin to seep in, especially if you consume it over and over and relentless. Listen, God got you. I want to tell you that this morning. I want to remind you of that this morning. God has you from top to bottom. There is no, listen, the world might be running around uh, terrified and paranoid. But the Lord left us with a peace that's not like the peace that the world has. Glory to God. He didn't give you that type of peace. He didn't give you the kind of peace that's going to run out on you and that's going to leave you stranded and leave you in a worse situation than you were before you got in. No, the peace that God has given you, that's that peace that's going to stick with you. That is that peace that is going to override concerns and fears and, and paranoia and any and everything else that this world will hand to you. The peace of God, which you gain as you bury yourself in the word of God, as you consume the word of God, the more you do that, the more the peace of God will manifest in your life. Amen. So Ephesians chapter five tells us how to use it on a personal level for us. For Ephesians, excuse me, Colossians chapter three, verse 16, tells us how to use it for other people. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, amen, in psalms and hymns and spiritual song and spiritual songs. So here it is, we learn how to use it. The key word we learned last week is the word wisdom, because when we talk about wisdom, what you're really talking about is the ability to use knowledge. Wisdom allows you to know when and where a thing is appropriate or inappropriate. That is the beauty of wisdom. We also learn in the scripture that, you know what I'm saying, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when we say fear of the Lord, we're talking about that respect and that reverence for God. When we start to reverence and respect God and the things of God, he said, that's where wisdom starts. Wisdom starts by recognizing the creator. Amen. And listen, some of us could have a whole lot more wisdom than what we have right now. If we would take time to recognize and to reverence the creator, God Almighty, for all of his benefits towards us. One Psalm tells us, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and I will pay my vows. The Psalm writer realizes that there isn't enough. I, can't, I, I cannot repay God for all the things that he's done, but that's not going to stop me from trying. That's not going to stop me from trying to, from giving God the very best. The respect and reverence of God is where you've got to go, especially, especially when you need that wisdom to grow, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Glory to God. Now, we learn in Colossians how to use this for people, and he tells us to teach them, but he wants us to do it with wisdom. Now, I told you to look at, in verse 
in Ephesians 5, 5 verse 19 and Colossians 3 verse 16, if you look at the latter part of those verses, you see a phrase that refers to the heart. In Ephesians 5, 19, it says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Amen. And in Colossians, it says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, as we add to what we learned last week, there is another level. There is another instruction that is being given in these set of scriptures that show us how to use the Psalms. Amen. We know we can use it for ourselves now. Ephesians 5 told us that. And we know that we can use it for to teach for, or for others so we can use it for our brothers and sisters and, and for others in general. So we know those two things. But the other rule set or the other guideline that is being referenced here is that of all of this, whether it is when you are taught, whether it's when you're talking to yourself or encouraging yourself or whether you are teaching others, it has to be from the heart. So if you're taking notes, make sure that you write that down. That when it comes to using the Psalms, you cannot use the Psalms correctly devoid or absent of your heart. Amen. Make sure you understand that. The Psalms have guidelines. The Psalms have instructions. But in order for you to accurately abide by the guidelines, in order for you to do this, for me to do this correctly, God tells us in both instances that your heart has to be involved. When it comes to the Psalms, speaking the Psalms, singing these Psalms, making melody or making music in your heart, glory to God, teaching others and instructing others on when to use the Psalms. You cannot do this if your heart is not in it. The Psalms are designed, brothers and sisters, to absolutely help you in a variety of situations. In every circumstance, there is a Psalm that can be used. Psalms cover virtually every stage of life. They cover every situation, so to speak, of life in a general sense. So no, they might not have your, the exact details of what you're going through right this moment or what you dealt with earlier in the week. No, they're not as specific to verbatim um, calling out every item that you are going through. No, but what the Psalms do, they speak to the spirit or they speak to the, um, to the general nature of what it is or the common nature or the commonality of what you have happening in your life. It speaks to those issues on a general level. Some of them, depending on what you're going through, will be very specific, but some of them will also be very high level. They'll speak to the scenario or to the spirit of the thing that you are involved with. So they will deal with things of depression. They will deal with things of disappointment. They will deal with things of joy. They will deal with items of, you know what I'm saying, of 
of, of elation and just having a good time. It deals and it covers all of those aspects. And there is a song that is that can be used, that can be pulled out of the repertoire and used to give God glory no matter what situation you're in. Have you lost a loved one? There's a song for that. Are you, are you, uh, are you anticipating the birth of a new child? There's a song for that. Are you dealing with, with oppression um, left and right? There's a song for that. Are you dealing with, with um, are, you, are you on the, the, the cusp of promotion? There's a song for that. There's a song for every stage or that can be used in every area of your life. But you can, but they, but, but even though there is a psalm for every situation, it cannot be used devoid of your heart. Your heart's got to be in it. When you use the psalms, when you sing the psalms, when you praise with the psalms, when you pray the psalms, when you encourage yourself in the psalms, when you teach and admonish others in the psalms, they don't work if your heart's not in it. God is always concerned about your heart. See, the Lord tells us they that worship him must do it in spirit and in truth. When we say in spirit and in truth, what that really gets down to is the fact that your heart got to be in it. Yes, God is saying in spirit and in truth, he's saying you got to worship him like him because God is true and God is a spirit. So he's requiring us to worship him according to his nature. But that also refers to your heart. God is always concerned and will always be concerned about your heart. God doesn't want you to go through the motion. And I want to I want to challenge somebody this morning. Don't go through the motions. When it comes to the word of God, it, listen, it is so easy to fall into patterns of routine and fall into habits. It's easy to do that. But I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you not to let that happen, but to lean on the everlasting arm of the Lord, to be governed and motivated and moved by the spirit of God. If you've got the Holy Ghost, listen, there ain't, listen, there ain't, God has given you his absolute best, why not give him your absolute best? God is not interested in clones. God's not interested in robots or people that you're just going to wind up and they're just going to keep going on and on and on and on and on like a wind-up toy. That is not what God is interested in. What God is interested in is the heart. Amen. God wants you to worship him for, from the heart. So not only are you supposed to use this to encourage yourself, not only are you supposed to use this to encourage and to teach one another, but in order for it to work, in order for it, you to not waste your time when you recite a song, when you sing a song, in order for you to not go through the motion, brothers and sisters, your heart must be engaged. Now turn to James chapter five, and I want you to look at verse 13. Let me give you a moment. James chapter five, verse 13. Amen. And when you get to James chapter 5, verse 13, we see these words. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Amen. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. 
Now, many of us know this scripture set because it is the prelude to verse 14 and, and uh, 15, which is a scripture that we use uh, all the time, especially when we're praying over someone for, uh, for healing. This scripture set is often used. In fact, verse 14 and 15 um, are, more, are used more so uh, than verse 13 um, in quotation or for quotation purposes. Most times when you see James chapter um, five, someone is, is literally quoting verses 14 and 15, which deal with, um, which deal with the sick and the sick calling on the elders and, and, we, and, 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 and amen, because there is sickness. And I want you to understand if you're, in, if you're listening to this lesson and you are sick in body, this is what the Bible says you need to do. Bible says in verse 14 of James chapter, of James, of James chapter five says this, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, amen, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, verse 15, shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So if there is sickness, and you're dealing with that, the scripture is very clear for what your move is, especially if you are of the household of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, you have a divine right or a covenant right with God to use this. This is a term of the new covenant. This, which means this is a promise that you can invoke. This is a right and a privilege that has been given to you as being part of the covenant. You are in covenant with God. When you were baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins and you were filled with the Holy Ghost, which means he placed you in the body of Christ. Listen, you became what the Bible calls us. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ which means we became inheritors of the promise. We became recipients of the covenant terms. And so because you are a recipient or you are in a, con you are in a covenant <clears throat> and a covenant is a contract, you are in contract with God, there are terms, there are rights, there are conditions that you can call for and that you can call upon and that you can use. This is one of them, amen. Now, I don't want to do too much of a deep dive in that, so I'm going to leave that part there, and I just want to put that out there in case anybody's dealing with something where you know somebody, encourage them, amen, to follow what the word God, God, the word of God says. God always will honor his word. But back up to verse 13, is any among you afflicted? That means, are you tormented? Are you going through some things? Affliction is not just physical sickness, amen. Um, many people tend to look at it that way. They look at an affliction as some sort of actual physical disease or some sort of um, physical ailment. Affliction in the scripture doesn't just cover that. It can cover that, and it does cover that in many senses, but that is not the only meaning. That is not the only way to be afflicted. You can also be afflicted in your mind and in your spirit. Amen. So in other words, it can be very, um, just as the affliction can be tangible, Okay, or physical, it can be untangible, or it can be, or it can be non-physical to be afflicted. When you, when your mind is troubled, and you can't get no peace, that is an affliction. That is being afflicted. Amen. 
And the Bible says here, is any among you afflicted? And he gives us a recipe. He says, or gives us an instruction. It says, let him pray. Amen. Now notice what he says. He says, if, is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now I want you to understand something. That is not a command. And I hope you know that. I hope you're catching it. That is a command to the person who is afflicted. Not to the person who's on the outside or around or near that person. Now, yes, if you're not afflicted, it's always wonderful pray. Always wonderful to pray. In fact, the Lord says, man, is to always pray and faint not. God wants us to pray. But verse 13 is very specific to the person that is afflicted. Because many times when a person is afflicted or when we are afflicted or going through things, one of the knee-jerk reactions that we love to do is throw a pity party. Sad to say. Soon as we, things start going wrong, soon as things start going bad, soon as things stop working out the way that we, that we want, or soon as we start going, having trouble in mind and, and things are going so fast, we can't slow them down and we don't know where the exit is to get off of well, this crazy train. We don't know how to get off of, the, off of this thing. So we're feeling tormented. We're feeling afflicted, trying to figure out life. And it seems like the more you try to figure out, the more you try to sort out, it seems like the more questions you actually open up. And it seems like the more confusing the matter gets. And so we find ourselves at times in a state of being afflicted. And as we tend to do, we love to throw pity parties. We love to suck our thumb and wallow and say, why is me? But look at what God does. God, through the apostle and the writer here of the book of Ephesians, is attributed to the apostle Paul, who is writing as the spirit of the Lord is directing him, and he gives instruction to the person that is afflicted. So brother or sister who is on this line, who is hearing this message, if you are afflicted, you got something to do. God got instruction for you. He says, let him pray. Brothers and sisters, the time comes where, listen, it is good to have people pray for you. That's a wonderful thing. And you ought to want people to pray for you. It's good to ask people to pray for you. But can I tell you, and I think I will, that you got to start praying for yourself. There are times where you can't wait for others to start praying for you. You can't wait for others to, to have you on their mind and they go into prayer for you. Listen, if you are in trouble and you know you are in trouble, now is the time to start praying. Don't start praying and wait and leave it all up to somebody else. Don't go to that. Don't wait on the person that you feel is a prayer warrior. It's a whole lot of people who need to be praying right now. But instead of praying, they're waiting for somebody else to pray for them. Now, not against people praying for other people. In fact, the word of God teaches us to do that. We are to pray for one another. But I am going to let it be known that if your prayer life, if the totality of your prayer life consists of nothing more than other people praying for you and you not praying for yourself, your prayer life is not where it needs to be. You have got 
to pray for yourself when you find yourself getting in trouble. When it soon, look, soon as it starts to smell like you're off course, that you're getting out of position, you got to start praying for yourself. Now is the time to pray. Not tomorrow, right now. When it starts to look sideways, start praying. When it starts to feel a little complicated, start praying. When you don't know what's going to happen on your job, start praying. When you're not, no, when you're, when you're not quite, quite sure how you're going to make ends meet or how you're going to pay these bills, start praying. Start talking to God. Why? Because you are in covenant with him and he has given you the right to come boldly before the throne of grace. That means that you don't even have to come to God timid. You don't have to come all mousy and like, Lord, I don't know um, I, I, I'm, if I should be here. Now, hold on. Come boldly before the throne of grace. You got to step into the throne room like you have been given permission to be there. Why? Because you have been given permission to be there. God has already granted an audience with you. He's already granted that request before you even ask God. Can I come talk to you? God has already said, come talk to me. Before you even formulate it in your mind that I need to talk to God, God already told you and gave you permission to come to him. Do you hear Jesus saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and what I will give you rest. God has already opened the door for you to step in when life has taken you to a point where you feel like stepping out. God says, no, don't step out. Don't leave. Don't abandon. Don't go back. Don't run away. But come unto me, all ye that labor and are, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there any among you afflicted? Then he moves on. He says, let him pray. And he says, is any merry? Let him sing songs. Now, when he sings Mary, this goes along or in conjunction with a lot of what was used or what was said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, and Colossians verse, uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 16. In Colossians, it says, singing with grace in your hearts. Amen. So again, we're talking, and when we're talking about singing with grace in your hearts, we're talking about this as uh, Ephesians, we're also talking about as Ephesians tells us in verse 19 of chapter five, making melody in your heart. Amen. So we're talking about joy. We're talking about with grace and with melody, we are talking about joy, which is captured in this word that we see in James chapter five, verse 13, that B portion that in that B portion is any merry. Are you happy? Are you excited? Life is not all things going badly. There are some good things. And God says, even with this, sing Psalms. Amen. Glory to God. Now, in addition to this, Psalms and these singing Psalms, and we see these instruction, this instruction that has been given with the Psalms. You'll notice that in Ephesians 19, excuse me, 5 and 19, the Bible says, and making melody in your heart. Now, melody here 
also re uh, um, brings in the concept of music. And this is good. Turn your Bibles. For those of you who've got them open, why don't you go ahead and turn to Psalms 150. Amen. That is the last Psalm. It's 150 Psalms. So Psalms 150 is the very last Psalm in the book of Psalms. And we learn in Ephesians, God wants you to make melody. And you hear this, you hear this call for singing. But brothers and sisters, did you also know that music is also a part of it? Psalms 150 verse, starting verse one says this, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Look at that, telling us what, telling us to praise in general. Then he tells, gives us, tells us praise in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Amen. Praise him for his mighty acts. Look at all these reasons and places God has given us to praise him. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Do you know God is great? And do you know his greatness is excellent? Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Uh-oh, now we're getting into the music. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Uh-oh, now we bring dancing into it as well. Praise him with, with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Look at God in Psalms 150 telling us to praise him. Not only do we praise him, we've learned that there are all types of different Psalms and they have different categories and they're all meant to be used to be sung. They're all meant to be sung. But in addition to that, music also has a place and has always had a place in the worship. Amen. When we put, when we, when we're praising God and we're singing songs and we've got the music playing, that's not just because somebody had a, had a great idea and an epiphany that, oh, you know what? I think I'm gonna play some music along with these songs that's being sung. Hold on, wait a minute. No, it goes beyond, goes beyond that. God wants us to praise even with the music in making this melody, melody. And that's a wonderful thing because all of these things are hooked up and con in conjunction in one way or another with the Psalms. Amen. Um, when, we, when we think about the concept of music, and we're dealing with this because the Psalms had music also a very relevant and a very important part. Because the Psalms, because they were meant to be sung, they were often put to music. Amen. And so it's good to know that music also is something that can be used in order to worship God. When you are praising the Lord, have you ever had, you know, there, have you ever, have you ever listened to someone who has played an instrument under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? I don't know if you actually ever heard that before, but I remember one of the first times um, hearing um, a person play um, an instrument. Now you understand there's no music going on. I mean, there's no singing going on at this point, but the praise and the worship or the praise at this point is literally through the music. And I remember one of the, I remember the first time I heard a brother play 
the um, and it, and of all instruments. And I, since then, I've heard many different instruments. But one of the first ones that I heard a person play under the anointing was that of the tambourine. Now, the tambourine that we have today is a little bit different than the tambourine that they used in the um, in the temple worship back then. But the tambourine, uh, the tambourines that we have today tend to have, for those of you who know it, it tends to, uh, uh, along, the, um, uh, along the perimeter of that tambourine would be nestled within there all around these, uh, these symbols, so to speak. And so they make a jingling or rattling type of sound when you shake the tambourine. But back then the tambourine didn't have those little jingling bits or those little symbols in it built within it. it didn't have that back then during the days of the temple worship it was more of a um it was just the drum part of it but the first time i heard a person um playing under the anointing of that was after it was after the church had um it was at service one day and after the the the, the, the church had entered a state of high praise and worship the spirit of the lord was moving so heavy in that service that people and praise began to break out just everywhere. And there was a point in the service where the praising and the worshiping that was audible through the voice began to die down and a peace kind of began to seep into the congregation. Well, lo and behold, in the midst of this period where the praise and the worship that was done with voice and that was done with singing, when that had begun to die down, this man took a tambourine and the spirit of the Lord was just all over him. And when he began to play and began to beat this drum, this tambourine in his hand, the anointing of the Lord began to move so heavy and so strong. And all of a sudden, words were no longer necessary. You didn't even need a song to be sung. There was a melody that was being made in this man's heart. And it came out in the song or in the instrument when the Bible says that everything <clears throat> that hath breath praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that means absolutely everything. It's interesting to know if you turn to First Chronicles chapter 23, verse number five, talking about this temple worship. So you got to understand when you're talking about the temple worship, the music and the, that would have gone forth and the praise that would have gone forth during this time would have been the Psalms. So not only do you have the Psalms firmly rooted in the worship, but you've got musical instruments involved as well. How involved were they? Well, First Chronicles 23 uh, and 5 reveals to us that David or the temple worship had an orchestra of 4,000 individuals. The Bible says this, moreover, 4,000 were porters and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. David didn't just, right, didn't just, was not just a, 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 an, an author or a man used by God to pen the Psalms. But music was a part of David's life. Those of you who are listening who know some of the background of David, you know, in the early days before David um, was king and Saul was still king, there was a time or there was a period where Saul dealt with, with, with unclean um, or was vexed 
or tormented, afflicted, if you will, by spirits, by unclean spirits or evil spirits, however you want to uh, describe that. And he had this problem and he was afflicted and, 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 and he was so tormented by these spirits. In other words, he was troubled all the time. He couldn't get no rest. He couldn't get no peace. None of these things, nothing was working. And then someone from his court said, you know, came up with an idea. They said, you know, we need to get somebody that will, that will play music for you. And when they play this music, you're going to find, and I'm just paraphrasing, you're going to find that this is going to give you peace and it's going to give you relief. Amen. And what was ultimately done, the Bible teaches us that it was David who played this music cunningly or very skillfully, and it gave relief or gave peace to the sitting king at that time, to his predecessor, to Saul. Amen. But we know that there was something different about that. Why? Because David, as the scripture teaches us, was a man after God's heart. So when David played, it wasn't just him playing just to go through the motion, but he was playing from his heart. Doesn't that bring us right back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in Ephesians 5 and, and Ephesians and, and Colossians chapter 3 about the Psalms and those things that we do needing to be from the heart? David prayed from the heart. He worshiped from the heart. He gave everything to from the heart. And when he did that, even way back before David was the king, because he played, because he worshiped, because it was from the heart, it had a special effect. And that effect was that it was even able to cause or ease the torment of the sitting king at the time who was Saul. When the spirit of the Lord is present in the song and in the melody and in the praise and in the worship, more than just God being glorified takes place. But brothers and sisters, when you are moved by the anointing and the spirit of God and that spirit or that anointing leads you to begin to worship God and to give him the words that he wants, the words of the songs, you begin to make melody in your heart and you begin to sing a new song, there's something else that happens. It begins to bless and it begins to edify and it begins to help those who are around you. So in that, we begin to see that there's more, there's a benefit, there is a, there is a, a wonderful blessing that's rooted and nestled in the praise and the worship through the Psalms and through song when it is done through and by the heart. When that heart is engaged, it takes your worship to the next level. It takes your singing to the next level. And it don't even matter what you sound like because God's not concerned about your, your voice and how your voice sounds. No, 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 no. What God is hearing is that sweet melody that's emanating from your heart. And those songs perfectly capture words of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, words of lament when I'm sad and, and words of thanksgiving when I'm glad, the Psalms. And when we use these Psalms, when we're speaking to just ourselves and when we're speaking or teaching others, it does something miraculous. It just 
helps. It helps in everyday life situations. The Psalms are meant to be used. Amen. Glory to God. Next week, we're going to get into dealing with the, uh, the, the uh, prophetic nature of the Psalms. Amen. We're going to talk more about, we're going to talk about how the Psalms also um, were not just uh, for singing and not just for praise and worship, but they also did some, there's some prophecy rooted in these into uh, and built into these Psalms. And we're going to see how God uh, used even the Psalms to keep the people in remembrance that he was going to send a Messiah, that better days are going to come. Wow.